Lockout. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Home Recording Made Easy.com podcast. I'm your host, David Vignola. This is episode number 23. This week, we're going to talk about four mixing tips that has nothing to do with plugins or gear. That's right. Nothing to buy, nothing to purchase. Has nothing to do with what kind of plugins or what kind of gear you use. Here's four mixing tips that you want to pay attention to before you blame everything on the gear and the plugins. So that's what we're going to talk about this week. If you like this podcast, make sure you like, subscribe, and share. Also stick around till the end because I'm going to give you guys a free gift to give you some discount on some training. So now sit back and relax, get yourself a cool drink, and let's talk about four mixing tips that has nothing to do with gear or plugins right here on the HomeRecordingMadeEasy.com podcast. Okay, welcome back everyone to episode 23. Episode 23. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much for continuing to follow the Home Recording Made Easy.com podcast. I hope you're enjoying the podcast up to this point, and I hope that the information is helpful to you in some way. And if it is, I would love for you to do me a big, big favor if you could. A couple of things. First and foremost, I want to hear about you and I want to hear about what your ideas are for first for future episodes of the podcast. In other words, what things do you want me to cover? Have I not covered a topic that you've been burning to learn about or you want to ask me about? Send that information to info at homerecordingmadeeasy.com. Send me an email to say, hey, Dave, look, I listened to your podcast. Thank you so much. Do you think in one episode you can cover insert XYZ, okay? And I'll be sure to get that in a future episode. I have a lot of podcast ideas, but I really want to tailor this to what you want to learn. That's what I'm here for. I'm here to help serve you and to help you. So I want to get um, a reading or a pulse, if you will, on what you are anxious to learn. So please do that for me. So that's the first thing. Second thing, if this podcast is helpful to you in any way, if you like Give me a five-star review, share it with others on your social media pages. It truly does help me. The more people that hear this podcast, the more that it helps me and it encourages me and tells me that, yes, people are listening. You want more of this because if you don't, then there's no reason for me to do it. (laughs) Okay. So again, I can start something and try to help you, but I need your help to continue. So if you wouldn't mind doing that, I would greatly appreciate it. It doesn't cost you anything. It just takes a little bit of your time. And I know everyone's time is valuable, so I do appreciate that. Okay, so now that that's out of the way, let's talk about what we're going to talk about in this episode, which is my four mixing tips that have nothing to do with gear or plugins that you use, okay? So a lot of times we talk about, not a lot of times, almost all the time, right? In in all my past, a lot of the past episodes of this podcast on the live streams and the YouTube videos, if you're part of my mixingmadeeasy.net membership site, we talk a lot about gears and plugin and techniques and how to get better in this case at mixing and what plugins that you wanna consider and how to use the plugins or what pieces of gear that you may wanna consider. I mean, that's all well and good, but you know, there are things that you can do without having to spend a dime and things that you really ought to consider, um, making sure you have dialed in before you consider buying more plugins and more gear. So let's talk about those four tips. The very first one is so obvious and it's something that I have to keep, you know, reminding students over and over again, or clients who send me stuff to mix for them and hire me to mix. One of the first questions that I ask a client who wants me to mix their music is, are your tracks ready to mix? Is the recording and the production is 75% of the battle to a great mix? 
Let me say that again in case anyone missed it. 75% of a great mix has to do with the recording quality itself, the song production, the quality of musicianship, and the way that those tracks, the raw elements, the tracks were recorded. If you have great sounding raw tracks that were recorded properly, if you have great performances from the musicians and decent, at the very least, musicianship, if you have a well-produced and written song, an arranged song, that is going to make the end product so much better. There's a lot of times where I get mixes or I get hired to mix people's music. I do that all the time. I mean, I do a lot of education here, but one thing that I do is I probably mix anywhere from 10 to maybe 30 songs in a calendar year for clients, okay? And a lot of times, I would say half of those times, when I get sent the raw files, there are all kinds of recording issues, arrangement issues, performance issues, sloppy musicianship issues. And the client is expecting that we're going to be able to take that and turn it into a professional sounding recording. And the fact of the matter is, there are some things you can do at the mix, right? Fix it in the mix, right? But we love that statement. That you can do at the mix to fix some of these things. That is true. But they're limited to what you can do, okay? Fixing things like timing issues, fixing things like heavily heavy vocal tuning issues, fixing things like um, uh, unwanted noise and stuff from guitar tracks, those kinds of things. That's not mixing. That's fixing and that's production. And that stuff should be done at that stage. So one of the very first things when I talk to a client that wants me to mix their stuff is send me the raw track. Send me, just send me a quick Throw up the faders, somewhat balance them, raw MP3 static mix of your recording. No processing. And I can tell in the first 25 seconds of that playback whether the song is ready to be mixed or not. Okay, For, let's forget, you know, let's put aside the quality of the song and the arrangement and stuff because that's that's something a little different. Okay, that, you know, let, let's assume for a second that let's not get too picky about the quality of the songwriting, but let's talk about the musicianship or lack thereof. And when I hear things that are out of time, and I don't mean just a tiny bit, I mean out of time, when I hear vocals that are way out of tune or the performance of the vocal is flat and it's just not a well-recorded or well-performed you know, um, performed vocal, I will always suggest that they go back and redo the tracks because I can't fix that. I can't make a bad performance sound better. I can make a bad performance sound more, you know, I can make it sound sonically like a bad performance, but it's going to stick out even more. Okay. So we've all heard the saying, get it right at the source. And that's what that means. That it has nothing to do with whatever gear or plugins or skills that I have. If you don't record decent tracks, it's going to be very difficult to get something that sounds professional. It's only going to highlight the, the problematic areas inside of that recording. So the very first thing you should be doing if you're mixing your own music or mixing, you know, your band's music or whatever, whether it's for a demo, if you want it to sound the best that you can before you start mixing, 
when you think you're done recording and you're ready for mixing before you actually start mixing, ask yourself, are your tracks ready to mix? Is the drummer in time? Did you record to a click track? If you did not record to the click track, does the band sound tight? If not, can we go back and re-record the bass part? For example, overdub it, fix it. How's the vocal performance? Is there all kinds of headphone bleed? Can we fix that? Is there all kind of tuning issues? Can we fix that? Are we happy with the way the vocal sounds in its raw form? Okay, that's huge. And if not, can we go back and re-sing it? Can you, at the production stage, before you're going to start mixing, tune the vocal? You know, you can use things like Melody and Auto-Tune, but a lot of those things need to be done very sparingly, okay? Part of my mixing process for a client is my mix, my mixing rate or what I charge to mix a song does not include sitting for three hours tuning a vocal. No, 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 no. If you want me to tune your vocals for you to the best of my ability, that's an extra charge. If you want me to fix all your timing issues in the song, that's an extra charge. That's production. That's not mixing, Okay, so I only say that because a lot of people try to get all the fancy gear and the fancy plugins and they think that that will fix a bad recording and it won't. And we've said this in other podcasts, but I think it was worth saying again, and it's probably one of the most important things. Okay, so are your tracks ready to mix? Ask yourself that question. Okay, tip number two, think about your mix more than just left, right. Okay. We talk about panning in the stereo spectrum left to right. We talked about this, I think, last episode or the episode before that. We talked about do you pan your guitars 50% over to the left and right or do you pan them 100%? You can automate the panning during different sections of the song. We talked about that recently. But I want you to start thinking about your mix more than just left and right. I also want you to start thinking about your mix front to back, sense of depth, okay? When you're looking at your computer screen and you're, you're, you're editing and you're mixing in your DAW, look at it and try to visualize the band being on stage. This is how I've always done it, and I still do it to this day. If I'm looking at my DAW and I'm looking at my computer screen, I'm visualizing the band on stage. Let's take a typical band, right? One guitar or two guitars, two bass, drums, vocals, background vocals, Okay. I'm visualizing, well, where do those things sit on stage? If I'm watching that band live, where do they, where do they kind of, where are they? Where do they physically reside on stage? Well, the vocals is always going to be up front and in the center, right? Okay. So we want the vocal for the most part to sound like it's up front on top of the mix, front and center. That's where they are on stage. That's where they should be in the mix. My bass is going to either be to the left or to the right side of that on stage physically. It doesn't mean I'm going to pan the bass necessarily. Not talking about panning. I'm talking about depth. Where does the bass guitar player typically stand in relationship to the lead vocalist? Typically on the side and back a little bit, right? Maybe not Sutton, maybe not completely linear parallel up front, stay up, you know, front of stage, but maybe back a couple of steps. Okay, it's something to think about. So I want to make that bass sound like it's sitting a little bit behind the vocal, not as not up front as the vocal, right? Same thing with our guitars. We have an electric guitar. Maybe that's sitting on stage left, and maybe we would pan that a little bit, depending. Um, but where does it standing? It's probably depth-wise, it's probably, again, not as front forward as the lead vocal. It's back a little bit. Maybe during the guitar solo, when the vocalist stops singing, the guitar solo now becomes front and center, right? But during the rhythm sections, it's back a little bit. 
where are the drums in relationship to those three other people? They're behind everybody, right? So the drums are physically sitting back at the stage. Okay? Okay, so now we have that visualization. So now how do we place our instruments in that stereo field, not only left to right, but front to back? Well, we use things like reverb to pull things back and push things forward in a mix. We use compression to do that as well with, it, with different attack and release times. I call this part of the 3D sound field. And if you want to know more about that, because we can't talk about that here in a podcast, it's a lot more involved, you may want to consider picking up my training course, Mixing Made Easy Volume 2 Advanced, or I spend over an hour talking about one concept called the 3D sound field. And that's exactly what we talk about. How do I use compression reverb and panning to place instruments, not only left to right, but front to back to give the mix a sense of depth? That's hugely important. That will really start to set yourself apart from an amateur mix. Okay, so you can do more research on that. I talk a little bit about that on some of the videos on the YouTube channel, but the course is really where you want to be for that. Again, that's Mixing Made Easy Volume 2 Advanced, and you're going to get a discount coupon code at the end of this podcast, so stay tuned for that so you can purchase that at a discounted rate. But start thinking about more than just left-right. Start thinking about front-to-back. Okay, that's important. doesn't cost you anything, and you don't need gear and plugins to figure that out. Okay, number three monitoring at proper volumes. We talked about this many times before as well. Most of your mixing should be done at a low to a medium low volume levels. And yes, you're checking them at louder levels from time to time, but most of the mixing, 75, 80% of it should be done at volume levels that are, uh, that are low or medium to low. And you say, well, why is that? A couple of reasons. First and foremost, you want to be able to protect your hearing, which we'll talk about in the next tip. You don't want yourself to be sitting in front of speakers that are four or five feet away from you that are blasting at more than 85 dB for any any length of time because your ears are, are, are critters that they're going to start to compress. They're going to protect the ear. The eardrums are going to protect themselves and your ears are going to start to compress. And the first thing you start to notice when your ears start to compress or your ears start to get fatigued is a loss of high end. And you start making very poor EQ decisions based on the fact that you don't hear the high end as much because you're, you're, you're monitoring it too high of a volume. The second reason for that too, the second reason for low volume levels as well is because you could do much better critical listening when things are done at lower volumes. You know, the kind of an old saying is that if you can get a mix to sound good at low volumes, when you turn it up, it's going to sound even better, especially the low end. If you can get a low end to sound like it cuts through at lower volumes, at higher volumes, it's going to sound that much better. Okay, now again, how loud should it be? Again, everyone, you could go read on the internet a hundred different answers to that question. But I typically will say as a guideline, you should be able to sit in front of your speakers and listen to it at a volume with that. If you were typing on your keyboards, you can hear the clacking of the keys. Or if you and I were sitting next to each other in front of the console, in front of my speakers, and we were mixing the song together, that you and I can have a conversation at normal volume without having to scream at each other to hear each other sitting maybe two feet apart away from each other. That's how low you should be monitoring at. Doesn't mean you shouldn't crank it up and check it every so often. Yes, you should. It also means you should crank it up and maybe get out of the sweet spot and walk around your control room or your mixing environment a little bit and listen to it in different places and get a different feel for how it translates in different parts of the room. 
well, which will also tell you whether you have a well-treated room or not, but that's for another discussion. But for the most part, monitor at lower volume levels, okay? That is going to help go a long way. And it's one of the more difficult things to start to do because we all think, our ears think that louder sounds better and things sound better when they're louder. But from a mixing perspective, you don't want to do that. Okay, so that's tip number three. And the last tip for this episode, tip number four, is to protect your hearing. Kind of ties into tip number three. Protect your hearing. Take frequent breaks. Monitor at low volumes. And when you're tracking and you're recording, this is a huge one that a lot of engineers don't do when they damage their hearing and they don't even realize it, is when, where appropriate, wear earplugs when tracking things like drums and loud guitars. Okay, there's nothing worse as an engineer going out to start placing microphones around a drum kit and have the drummer back there jamming and slamming the drums and you're a foot away from it and it's killing your ears. Okay, it's 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 going to fatigue the ears and could possibly damage your ears. Same thing with loud distorted guitars. You want to try when you're doing tracking, if you're tracking yourself or if you are tracking other people, especially Wear earplugs when you're out in the live room placing microphones and getting volumes and getting checks, okay? Protect your hearing. If you're the person doing the tracking and you're tracking your electric guitar through headphones, yeah, wearing earplugs is probably not appropriate, but you don't want to track at super high volume levels either because, again, you're going to hurt your hearing for when you do things like mixing. If you're a drummer, you should probably be drumming with earplugs, or in-ear monitors, or something to where you can protect your hearing. Our hearing is the most important thing we have as an engineer. And so many people, especially if you're a musician and an engineer who plays and plays in bands and goes out and plays live and those kinds of things, and you listen to music and play music at super intense volume levels, over the course of time, your hearing is going to be damaged and the critical listening that you're going to be able to do to make good solid mixes is going to be diminished. So protect your hearing as much as humanly possible. When I play live, whether I'm playing electric, acoustic, or otherwise, I now and have been for like the last six or seven years, I play with in-ear monitors because I can control the volume in my head and I don't need to crank my thing so darn loud so I could hear myself over a live drummer anymore. Now that may not be feasible for everyone, but that's just one example you know, standing in front of a loud guitar amplifier and a loud drum kit for years and years and years does not help your hearing. So if you're not willing to wear earplugs because you don't like that sound, you don't want something in your ear, consider in-ear monitoring systems. Today, they've come down in price and they're cheap enough today. They're affordable enough today where you could get a good set of in-ear monitors for a few hundred dollars. And you just, you know, take an, a, a, an aux mix out of your digital board and you can mix into your head what you want to hear. And today, the quality of the in-ear monitors sound so fantastic that you can do this for relatively small amounts of money. You could do it on the cheap just to get by, or you could even get real high-end stuff and everything in between. So again, protecting your hearing, using earplugs, when you're tracking other bands, using in-ear monitors when you're playing live, all protect your hearing, take breaks and monitor at low volumes. That is going to help you with making good mixes as you move forward, because your hearing is not going to be damaged. Okay. So in summary, are your tracks ready to mix? Think about your mix more than just left and right, but also front to back. 
monitoring at proper low volume levels and to protect your hearing by taking breaks, monitoring at low volumes and wearing earplugs when appropriate, especially if you're tracking bands. Okay. So those are my four tips that have nothing to do with plugins or any hardware or gear that you have, things that you can do today that are going to help you overall turn out better mixes. Now, I want to thank you so much for listening to this episode. Now, as I said in the beginning, I want to give you a couple of free gifts. So first and foremost, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, welcome and thank you for listening. I hope this episode helped you. Go back and check out all the other episodes, all 22 of them. Um, and um, there's a lot of golden nuggets and a lot of teachable moments there. I hope you enjoy those. But I want to also give you a couple of things here. I want you to go to homerecordingmadeeasy.com and I want to give you a free mixing course. I want you to try my free course no strings attached, absolutely free to see if my teaching style and, the, and my teaching approach resonates with you. It's absolutely free. Check it out at homerecordingmadeeasy.com. It's right on the homepage. You can't miss it. And if you find that, hey, you know what? I really do like Dave's teaching style. I see some of his other training courses I'd like to check out. I want to give you a 30% discount coupon code. The coupon code is podcast 30 you just put that in a checkout and you will get 30% off any one of my training courses on the website. Okay. So that's what I want to give to you for listening to this podcast. Thank you so much. I think you'll enjoy the training very much and let me know by sending me an email through the website. Let me know how you like the training and last, but certainly not least, if we are talking about mixing and in this episode, we are, if you really dig mixing and you really want to jumpstart your training, yes, you can buy some single courses on home recording made easy. There's lots of training on mixing on that website, but if you want to become um, the next level and you want to step up your training and get on the fast track even further, and you want to be a part of a community of people, both home recording musicians, as well as aspiring audio engineers to get better at the craft of mixing, then I highly encourage you to check out mixingmadeeasy.net. It's my membership mixing website, ton of information there will be without a shadow of a doubt the fastest way for you to improve your mixing capabilities is at mixingmadeeasy.net so until next week's episode thank you so much for listening i've been dave with homerecordingmadeeasy.com and mixingmadeeasy.net and i will see you and talk to you in the next podcast take care everybody mm -hmm.